Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministry. For more information regarding the audio outreach ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now here's Pastor Jimmy Fry with today's message. Matthew 9, 35, and Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenge of your word today. Uh, God, I pray that it brings conviction on our life and in this season that it's so easily to become sluggish in. Uh, God, uh, Might you anoint this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I really feel like the church needs this sermon today. Um, It's that particular time of year where uh, the holidays have come to a screeching halt, right? Credit card bills have begun to roll in. Right? Everyone's getting down. The work schedule has begun to flow again. The school schedule is trying to get back on track. I told my wife if they cancel school one more day this week. I don't know what we'll do. But the sidewalks are icy and it seems like the elderly get stuck in their homes. The entire earth is frozen and cold and most of our days seem to just be filled with darkness bitter temperatures and howling winds. Amen. And harboring inside, we await for the arrival of spring, the warm sun, the blooming flowers, the fresh air, and hopefully this year a vacation, right? Hoping that that will somehow resurrect some sort of radiant joy within us again. It's the season where motivation can go down and depression can go up. Laid before us, this season is the temptation of being slothful. I'll pause so your wife can elbow you in the side. I did some research this week on the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins come to us from a 4th century monk named Avergrius Ponticus. Uh, These sins listed are pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, and sloth. Now they come to us from a time in history where most people couldn't read or write So what the Catholic Church did was they put together this list of sins summarizing all of the sins that people should try to avoid. 
Not that they are the only sins, but almost all sin could be summarized underneath one of these seven sins, or one of these categories, meaning each one of these sins can lead to other sins. Uh, The church was correct in that these sins are deadly, but be certain to understand, church, that all sin is deadly. Right? Romans reminds us of that reality that wages of sin is death. Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 19, you're familiar with. Uh, seven things that are detestable to God. And this is what we get confused here with seven deadly sins and the detestable things. Uh, I'll list those for you. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots evil, feet that are quick to rush to do wrong, a false witness, a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. But this list isn't what most people understand as the seven deadly sins. Um, So are the seven deadly sins biblical? Yes, they are biblical, but also no, they are not biblical because they don't come in that specific list in particular. Um, But each of the sins listed are sins, and they are deadly, and they can be found in the Bible. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, But I do want to talk about one in particular sin on this list, one sin that seems like to us isn't that big of a deal. It just, all all the other ones rub us the wrong way, except for sloth, right? We we're kind of okay with that one. It sounds kind of nice this afternoon to be a sloth. Um, the definition for sloth here is laziness that comes from carelessness about the commands and priorities of God. A lack of love for God in his ways that undermines a biblical doctrine of vocation. A slothful person is unwilling to act or care, especially when action and care are needed. The Hebrew term for sloth can refer to a bow that has not been strung or that has not been equipped with an arrow for action. I have learned That even within my own life, the greatest threats to spiritual growth is comfort. The phrase, no pain, no gain, is true, especially in our spiritual journey. I think there's also no action, no reaction that is true about our spiritual journey. We, we live, I, I would have to say, in one of the most annoying times of mankind. You agree with me here? If you don't, just go home and read your Facebook page. <laughs> we, we live in this self-care, inward-focused society that is drowning itself in self-indulgence And much of it is meant to give us comfort, right? 
if you would read the back of almost any Christian book or search most popular podcast or even sermons, you find that everyone seems to be concerned with the same person. Numero uno, right? Me. Everyone is worried about, not me, but you, like ourself. Being disciplined to make you a priority in your life. Me time. I just need some me time. I've got some health, self-help advice for the world today. Um, probably get some grief over this. But the truth is, if you took up your cross and died today, then your dead self doesn't need to be a priority. I get it, I get it, I get it. Our self don't like that, right? Our self don't like that. I think one of the top issues in our culture, and actually it exists within the walls of the church today, are people who are sitting in their own way. Sloths. We don't see needs because we don't see past ourselves. There's few books, there's few articles, and Scripture even tells us few people focus towards the care of others. The reality is, the more selfish we are, the more we cater to that selfishness, the less capacity we have to find joy in serving others. And it has led us to this epidemic of apathy. Just think about Jesus. Everything that Jesus did on this earth was for other people. Jesus knew the temptation to fall into idleness, so he made certain to always be about his father's business. From his teaching to his preaching, the miracles, multiplying the fish and the bread, calming the storm, was all grace towards the people and for the Father's glory. The Bible says he came from heaven to seek and save that which was lost. And in our opening text, we see inside the heart of Jesus, we see he is moved with compassion towards the world. The harassed and the helpless. And I'm here to tell you today that the harassed and the helpless still exist in this world. There are still sheep without a shepherd in this world. Christ looked out and he saw a people who had no instruction even in the synagogue, people were perishing for a lack of knowledge. And yet these people had teachers, they had scribes, they had Pharisees and priests, but seemingly they had no one who cared for their souls. They were lacking leaders after God's own heart. The teachers that 
Jesus is referring to had become blind, they had become self-centered, they had become lazy. Every day they discovered deeper ignorance and deeper wickedness, more ways of taking advantage of people, ignoring their job of true teaching. They would become hyper-focused on rituals and traditions, ignoring the duty they had been called to fulfill. And instead of serving God, they were serving their own glory, their own gain and clout to fill their stomachs. It was all about self-advancement, self-help, or self-care. And it came at the expense of those they were placed before to shepherd. But I like this. We, we see this written out in the scripture, but the disciples would have seen verses 35 and 36 lived out over some time. Jesus turned and says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. And there's a comma there. I think it's because Jesus paused to make sure all the disciples nodded their head, yes, yeah. yeah. The har- and the church would do the same. Yeah, the harvest is plentiful. Long pause. But the laborers are few. The laborers are few. I, th- I think what the scripture does here is, is it hits us with the spiritual two by four, right? It's hitting every single one of us right smack in the face, agreeing that the harvest is plenty. Then we have to look inward. We have to look inside of us and acknowledge that the workers are few. This is a verse that continually runs through my mind. Continually runs through my mind and it affects my actions. It affects my hopes and it affects my dreams. It affects my thoughts. Looking out into the world, all the ministry that needs to take place, there is no reason for me to sit idle. No reason. For nearly 2,000 years, this verse has rang true. The workers are still few. I don't ever understand a lazy Christian. I never understood a bored Christian. In fact, I don't think it's even possible. I don't even think it's possible. I think there can be seasons in our life where we struggle, but for someone to stay in that place, that's a serious heart issue. And I I did some digging through the Bible, and I found out you can't find the word bored in Scripture. You You can't find it. But you do find words like slothful, sluggard, Lazy and idle. And in each case, it is clearly marked as sinful. If you have kids, you probably have had a conversation that has gone something like this Dad, I'm bored. 
Oh. Now, I always thought my dad overreacted when I said that. Now I'm a dad. And right? And you, this is always the response. We just had Christmas. What do you mean you're bored? Right? I'll give you something to do. Go clean your room. Go clean my room. Go wash the dishes. Go sweep the floor. Go do your homework. Not that. Right? I don't know about, I don't know about how your marriage works, but my, my wife has a gift of discernment. Right? She could discern when I'm bored. I don't have to say it. She says, you look bored. Uh, no, I was uh, meditating, <laughs> praying. Go do the dishes. Same list I give the kids. But you see, there's really no such thing as being bored. There's no such thing. We are bored, lazy, idle, or slothful only when we are uninterested in the work that needs to be done. There's always work that needs to be done. When the labor isn't appealing to us, we're bored. Boredom isn't a symptom of nothing to do. We can be busy and bored at the same time, right? But really, the more I thought about it this week, the more I realized that boredom is just a term we use when we've lost our joy. We, we, we can't see anything to find joy in. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, There is no such thing on earth as an uninteresting subject. The only thing that can exist is an uninterested person. There are large amounts of people desiring spiritual instruction. Wanting evangelized, wanting discipled, needing spiritual care, urgent spiritual care. And we sit here and just wait for the Lord to come back. We, we look out at the world and we, we see that it's just, it's just a mess. Listen, the whole world seems to be going to hell, right? And we just, we're just bored with it. We're just, we're just bored. Well, we, well, we go out there and they might get something dirty on us or something. Just stay here and, and wait for the Lord to come back. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said. He said, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. Jesus didn't say, look at all those stupid sheep out there wandering around all the wolves. They deserve to be eaten. That, that's what they want. That's what they're going to get. No, he had compassion on them 
but he did not have compassion on the disciples. Because the very next phrase, he calls them out. The workers are few. So what does Christ do here? He inclines them to pray, but not just pray, to pray earnestly. Deomai is the, the Greek word here, meaning to pray in a way that you want it for yourself. Oh, well, that stinks. We don't mind praying in a way to want it for others, but to pray for ourselves. Matthew Henry said, I thought this was great. It is a sign that God is about to bestow some special mercy upon a people when he stirs them up to pray for it. And commissions given to laborers in answer to prayer are most likely to be successful. Hmm. A true prayer for a move of God always causes a move in God's people. I'm going to say that again. A true prayer for a move of God always causes a move in God's people. That means they get up and they get busy with it. But we can get it wrong here looking at this scripture. Justifying our slothfulness, we say. Um, getting ourself in the way, getting our comfort in the way. I pray that the workers will be sent. But I just, I could never go. My spiritual gift is to pray for others to go. Uh, no. Nope. That's a lie. That's a lie from hell, really. Your gift is the prayer part. I, nope. We all should be praying. We all should be going. That's the commission, right? So here's the real question. Do your prayers make you uncomfortable? Or are they just about making other people uncomfortable? Once the disciples started praying for someone to be sent things started to change within them. It was the change within the disciples that was going to make the difference in the harvest. They began seeing things the way Christ saw them. They began feeling things the way Christ felt them, causing them to do the things that Christ did. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. I think this is my favorite part of the scripture here. The word send out uh, properly means to thrust forth. Yeah, that's awesome. He's telling us to pray that God would thrust people out into the field. This is not a sluggish approach to evangelism. 
I remember a few times that my dad would grab me by the back of the shirt and he would thrust me forth. You remember those days? I remember as an adult, he grabbed me in the kitchen by the back of my blue-collared shirt and he thrust me into the garage and told me to go home. Maybe that's why this means so much to me. But it's not even, it's not sluggish and it's not even gentle. Get with it. Go to work. The workers are few. He's specific here in how we should pray. Pray that he would ekba, thrust out workers into the harvest, meaning you. Pray that he would thrust you into the field because a leisure labor is really no labor at all. But here, here's, the, here's the truth. There is no amount of arguments or persuasion or motivating speeches that will be enough to persuade someone to carry out the weight of this harvest ministry. Especially with any intention of actually accomplishing something in it. The only thing that will make a laborer passionate and successful is when the power of God cuts through their heart with compassion. When he does, they go running. They go running. I uh, got, got the opportunity to lead a, a young man to the Lord a couple years ago now, and, and he was a young man. I, I, I watched him grow up. He was a part of our youth group and everything, and, and just a frustrating teenager. Man, he was frustrating, and he called me one night. I hadn't seen him for a couple years. Met him for coffee, and he was just broken. He was just broken, and he knew he needed saved. He got saved, and he knew he needed to get to work, and um, he moved away, and and still, still calls me on the phone pretty regularly. But I remember he, he was burdened, heavily burdened, for evangelizing. And he said, my prayer is that God would send me somewhere, like give me somebody. And, and he, I mean, he was one of the shyest kids I ever met in my life. I thought, boy, this would be a miracle. He called me on his way home from work and was telling me this. And uh, there was a, a beggar alongside the street. And he said, oh man, this is it. This is it. And he said, I'm at the light. And I, I said, well, it's just not convenient. It's just not convenient here. So he drove on past and he was convicted. Supremely convicted. Turned his car around and had to give himself a pep talk to go back. Parked his car along the side of the exit ramp, walked to the beggar, and told him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, I don't know, I don't know if the man got saved, but Jimmy, I had so much joy. So much joy. Uh, and, and it's funny because he called me on a Wednesday night during church to tell me this. He was so excited, he forgot that I would be in the middle of teaching 
that night. And then he said, I called my mom, and she didn't answer her phone either. I had a story to tell and nobody to listen. (laughs) But that always stuck with me. Because once we begin to labor in the field, once we realize that our boredom is really spiritual apathy and we do something about it, our joy comes back instantly. It comes back instantly. And I see many today, especially in this season, suffering in this epidemic of apathy. Feeling indifferent about the things God cares for. And if it does cross your mind to lift it up in prayer, the prayer is always that God would use someone else's hands to do the ministering. Paul said in Romans 12, 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You see, it's not that we're even serving people. It's that we're always in it, serving the Lord. So what is the antidote to apathy? Die to yourself. You trade your desires for his desires. You trade your life for his life, your yoke for his life, your burdens for his burdens, and that fixes a lot of things. Fixes your family problem. It fixes your time problem, your self-absorbed problem, the love of money problem, your I don't know what to do with myself problem, your boredom problem. Probably doesn't fix the clothes need put away problem, though, because there's so much to do. Psalm 32, 3 through 4 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So here's where it gets fixed. You confess your sin and you put your hand to the plow. Uh, John Bloom asked in an article I read, so what is boredom telling us? When we feel bored, we are essentially asking the question, where's the joy? Boredom is what our hunger for happiness feels like when we've momentarily lost sight of or confidence in what will satisfy it. And as such, it is a warning and an invitation. We must be sure to fill our minds with the right things. And it's pretty simple. God's word, God's work. God's word, God's work. God's word, God's work. Stop the mind-numbing, useless self-centeredness when there is a thrilling harvest, a ready, heart-pumping, adrenaline-laced, joyful mission set before you. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would thrust 
you forth. A Spanish philosopher told about a Roman aqueduct that was built in Spain. It was built in the year 109 A.D., and for 1,800 years it carried cool, refreshing water from the mountains to the hot and thirsty city, quenching the thirst of over 60 generations of people. There was a new generation that came along and thought that the aqueduct was such a great marvel that it ought to be preserved for the future generations as a museum piece. So they relieved the aqueduct of its years of service and they laid modern pipes to carry the water. The sun began beating down on the mortar and the bricks and caused the aqueduct to begin to crumble began to sag, and it started to fall. You see, what ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated. Sometimes we can just feel stuck. I've been there. I, I get it. But I've found that joy doesn't come back by watching and waiting but by working. It's harvest season. Build the body, reach the lost. Boredom, idleness, laziness are both a warning and an invitation. You're starving for joy. Something's got to satisfy the great aqueduct of your life that is drying up. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says this, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. God's word, God's work. God's word, God's work. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy. Uh, God, your, your calling uh, to repentance, your, your calling to salvation. Uh, God, in the work that you do within us through your word to make us fully capable, fully equipped of four every good work for every good work lord there's a church here today of almost 400 people and that seems like a lot outside of continental ohio lord your word for the church today is the workers are still few 
We might be gathered here to worship, and that's a great thing. But as we leave, our worship isn't necessarily in song form anymore. But it's in how we serve and love others. It's how we look at a lost world and the needs that need to be met. God, might it be heavy on our heart to walk into the field because it's harvest season. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Pastor Jimmy Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.